morning, Doxa. Uh, my name is Christopher. If you'd open up your Bibles, please, to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be reading uh, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship collectively at Doxa this morning and for the opportunity to study your word, to learn more about your character and your expectations and hopes for our lives. I pray, Lord, for your blessing on, on Rob as he uh, delivers his message this morning and ask that you'll guide each of his words and that in each of us you'll deepen our understanding of the ways that loving others both demonstrates our love and faith in Christ and the love that you first showed to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, thanks, Christopher. Well, good morning, Docs Church. Guys, it's, it's good to, to see you. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. If you're new, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors. It's great to have you part of the, uh, the Docs uh, family today. But you dads, happy Father's Day again. Can we give it up for the dads? We haven't even clapped for them, right? And so, you know, Rudy was talking about how Honor is one of our core values. The best way that we could think of to honor you and to celebrate you was to run over to the gas station and buy all their little packs of donuts. And so we got those for you out there. Make sure you grab those. It was either that or a roll of duct tape. And I had a sweet tooth, and so that's what you got, okay? But uh, let me say this before we, we open up the Bible together today, all right? Being a father is just a high calling. Dads and I, and I hope that you, you feel this and you, you recognize this today, but Dads, God has, has made you, first and foremost, to be his kid through faith in Jesus, and he's created you to lead your kids to know and love Jesus, and he's empowered you through his spirit to live like Jesus and image God the Father throughout all the days of your life. And for all of us dads, you know, Father's Day is, is most definitely like a day to be celebrated and to feel loved by our kids, but it's also a day that should make us feel the weight of this calling as a father. And so to all the dads here at Doxa, as just one dad speaking to many, let me just say this, guys. Let's just love God and run the race well. And fathers, like when we like fail and we stumble, we trip up, we sin, and we don't love like our Father in heaven loves us, let's be those guys that just quickly lead the way in repenting, confessing, and just turning from our sin and run after Jesus. And I love that there are so many dads, so many men in this room, that this is your posture of how you follow Jesus. It's a high honor, one of the highest honors of my life to walk alongside you in this church. And so dads, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, I've been praying for you. And so we're gonna get into this today, okay? First John chapter two. We're, we're gonna continue this study through this great letter written by Jesus's nearest, dearest, closest, most faithful friend, John. And I love how this ended up working out today, that as we celebrate Father's Day today, we actually get to talk about the love of our Heavenly Father here in 1 John chapter 2. And as we talk about God as Father, all right, 
I, I need you to understand the significance of this, that we're talking about the primary way that God chose to reveal himself to us. All right, that of all the ways that God could have revealed himself, he chose one very specific way, a father. And as you look at the gospel account, you look at Jesus and his words, he refers to God as father 165 times throughout the gospel. This was Jesus' favorite way to refer to, the, to God as, as father. And this idea of father, you know, when we look at this, we, we learn a couple different things that are so important. Number one, we, we learn a kind of about the, the nature of God. All right, and I know that in a room this size, we all come from different backgrounds and different faith journeys, but you know, some of us in this room, maybe you have like a very malnourished, poor understanding of who God is. Father is meant to inform us that this concept of father is a warm, invitational, relational, good, and safe picture. And this is, in fact, how we can view God, that he is a loving father, that the God of the Bible is, is very different from the way that every other world religion across the world sees God. You know, every other world religion kind of sees God as either like an impersonal force or like a frightening judge. But our God is Father. And he has a Father heart of love towards us. Amen? This is who our God is. So we see the nature of God in Father, but we also, as we consider God as Father, he has created us and he's intended us to be his kids in his family. And we talk about this all the time, but this miracle happens through faith in Jesus, where Jesus kind of comes in, he power washes our soul, he takes our sin, the thing that we all have in our lives that separates us from God, he becomes our advocate, our propitiation, which we talked about last week, and he brings us in to the family of God. And so when we talk about Christianity, we're ultimately talking about a familial idea, where God is Father, Jesus is our big brother, and through faith, we are children of God, and we have many, many brothers and sisters. And what John is going to talk to us today about is how we live together towards each other as the family of God. All right, this is a big one, all right, because throughout the Bible, we see that God has created us, and he's, he's purposed us to live alongside each other in a very specific way, like a beautiful way, a, lo- a way that is intended to, to yield life and joy and peace. And so I want to just describe this for you. All right, here's how God intends us to experience relationships with one another. I'm just gonna kind of do a flyby of the New Testament real quick, okay? But Romans 15, seven says that we would welcome and accept one another. First Peter 4.10 says that we would serve and help one another. Ephesians 5.21 says that we would submit to one another and live humbly towards each other, not just focusing on, on our own desires and our own personal gains, but the good of other people. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says that we would always seek to do good to one another. It's this idea and this posture that we have in our life of giving grace, giving help, showing care. Ephesians 4.32 says that we would be kind to one another, tender-hearted and forgiving one another. Hebrews 10.25, that we would encourage one another, that we wouldn't be tearing each other down or attacking each other because we have different perspectives, different beliefs, different preferences, but we're lifting each other up. Ephesians 4.1, that we would be gentle and patient and unified. 2 Corinthians 13.11, that we would comfort one another. Romans 12.10, honoring one another. Colossians 3.13, forgiving each other. 1 Peter 4.9, welcoming one another into our homes and into our lives. Guys, does this sound great? I mean, these are the types of relationships that we would just love and just, this is just wonderful. I mean, we would all want this. This is how God intends us to live with one another. But here's the question, like how is this even possible? 
All right, because maybe as you, you hear about this and you, you, you listen to this flyby, you start to think about your life. You start to think about your marriage, your workplace, your friend group, your church experience, the world and the culture that we're living in. And you might be thinking, this is like so far off of the life that I experience. That, that sure, like this all sounds great, but we honestly all know that this is kind of like a fairy tale book that we read to our kids at night that sounds wonderful and amazing, but it's not real life and it can never be true. Doxa, it actually can be true that there is a bridge that takes us from what we're currently experiencing in life to what God desires for our life. And 1 John chapter two is gonna help us understand this, okay? So look back to verse seven. John starts off and he says, beloved. And here's what you need to know. All right, this is the first of six times that John is gonna use this language of beloved. And this is a term of just endearment. It's a term of just a heartfelt love from John to his readers. And here, as he calls his readers beloved, he's revealing his heart of love for those people that he's writing to, but he's also revealing the heart of God. All right, that if you look ahead to John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, John says that God is love. And this love of God is what saves us, it changes us, and it empowers us. Because it's this love that led God himself to step into the human story as the man Jesus to die for our sins. And when we understand this about the gospel, that our salvation, our right standing with God, our place in the Father's family, it's only through the death and the life of Jesus and his resurrection. And that was all an act of love. That the gospel that we preach about, the gospel that we sing about, it's all surrounded by love. And this love not only provides us a way to escape the effects of sin, the terrible reality of hell that we march towards because of our sin, it causes us to find forgiveness, have eternity with God, but it also changes us. And as John calls his readers of this letter, beloved, he's showing us how the love of God actually has changed him in dramatic ways. Because if you remember back, as we introduced this letter, we talked about John. John was not always this loving guy that when he first came to Jesus, there would be no way that he would write, beloved. He wouldn't have addressed people like that. I mean, if you remember the nickname that Jesus gave him, do you remember this, when him and his brother were following him? The sons of thunder, right? This was where John started. John was just a guy. Like many men in our world today, he had a short fuse, a hot temper, and not a whole lot of love. But as he spent time with Jesus, experiencing the love of the Father, John began to slowly change. And over the course of his life, the love of God changes him into such a way that his legacy now is not the son of thunder, is not this hot-tempered guy, but he's known as the apostle of love. And I just want you to see this. This was only a work of God in John's life. And as he writes this letter, he does so with a lot of love because he's experienced the love of God and it totally changed him. But now here's why I even mention this and spend any amount of time on this. All right, John is gonna tell us who we are before he tells us what to do. All right, and this is God's heart. This is his father's heart towards you. And some of you, you grew up and your dad never said I loved you. Your dad never said I love you. You need to know that God is a father who says I love you. I love you. And someone in here, you need to know this. This is the Father's heart towards you, and God is looking at you right now and bringing you to this place to, for him to say, I love you. 
And I tell my kids this so much. I mean, so many times that my kids are like, Dad, I know. But the, thing, the thought going through my head is like if I tell them a million times and they only remember one, that's great. Because they need to know I love them. But God loves you. And all of creation, all of scripture is crying this out. Doxa, you need to know that God's heart is a father's heart of love for you. And when you understand this, when, you, when it goes from like your head to your heart, this absolutely changes everything about a person. And John has been so radically impacted by the love of God that he not only tells his readers, I love you, but he's gonna use this word some 40 times in these five chapters. And again, this is not where John started, but this is how he ended up as he walked with Jesus faithfully. So beloved means this, you are loved. You're loved. And I know that that might be hard for some of you, to kind of take hold of and to receive, but I want to encourage all of us to hear this, to grab onto this and to wear this as you walk out of here today. You are loved, crazily loved by God the Father. This is his heart towards us. And this love, when experienced and lived in, guys, will change everything. It will change your family. It will change our marriages. It will change all of our relationships. This love is the bridge that would allow all the things that I just rattled off to be true of our lives, of our church, and of our world. So John says, beloved, now look back. He says, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. All right, now I'll I'll say this, okay? Sometimes the Bible, when you read it, says something new, but sometimes it says the same thing kind of over and over again. I mean, how many of you, you have kids, and you tell them the same thing over and over and over again, right? It's because sometimes our kids, they don't listen, they don't learn, and they need to be reminded of the same things over and over again so that they can grow. Doxa, we are the children of God. And no matter how great you feel like you are and how Christian you think you are, sometimes we don't learn. And sometimes we don't listen. And sometimes if you've been around Doxa for a while, you'll hear me say the same thing. You'll be listening to a sermon and you'll be like, I'm pretty sure He's already said this like 15 times. It's because it's that important, that significant that we need to really hear it again and again so that we actually embrace it and learn it. And as you read the Bible, you're gonna discover that it repeats key central things over and over and over again. And what we're looking at today is one of those areas, love. And he talks to us, John talks to us about this. He's gonna show us two things. All right, in verses seven through eight, he's gonna talk to us about the primacy of love in life. And then verses nine through 11, he's gonna have us consider the person of love. Okay, so again, verse seven, the primacy of love. Beloved, I'm writing you no new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. All right, so here's what John's doing. All right, he's once again kind of just going back to the basics of Christianity. Like in these first couple chapters, it's almost like John is just writing in a crayon, all right, because he's not going into these super deep things, but he's just saying, here is the basics. And years ago, there was this best-selling book. uh, It was titled, All I Really Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. All right, And, and the author opens up the pages by writing this, and I quote, he says, wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but they're in the sand pile at Sunday school. And he writes that the basic rules of life, 
like sharing, like playing nice, like being nice, cleaning up your own mess, saying sorry when you hurt people's feelings. He, he says that those simple rules, they resonate with every single one of us, not only because they make good sense, but also because we tend to forget them. And I think the same is true when we think about a life with God, that we tend to think about and forget about the basics. We forget about the basics of a life with God and we try and overcomplicate Christian life. And as we continue through 1 John, it becomes obvious that John is taking his readers back, back to the basics, and he's not doing this in a condescending way, but he's doing this in an endearing way, a helpful way. And here's how he talks about the primacy of love. All right? He says everything. It's all about love. All right? Everything. And if you look at the Bible, if you're familiar with your Bible, and you read all the authors of the New Testament, we see that the thing that holds everything together is, in fact, love. And so I've, I've heard it talked about like this, that that, like, um, that love is like the circulatory system of the church. All right, and here's what this means, okay? The circulatory system in your body carries blood to every part of your body, nourishing every single cell. And so if your circulatory system shuts down, you die. And just as this system is so vital to our physical bodies, the church, the family of God, the body of Christ, has its own circulatory system, which is love. And so for us as a church family, this is at the top of the list of what is important here at Doxa. Don't miss that. It's not like how good the band is. It's not how good Doxa Kids is. It's not all the programming. It's not all the schedules. It's not anything. It's love. And this is what John is trying to hammer home. All right, now, now maybe if you look back to verses 7 and 8, you, maybe you're wondering, like, why am I talking about love? Because that word is not even in these two verses, Right? But if you understand this, John is talking about what this old and new commandment is. And if you remember Jesus, on the occasion in uh, Matthew chapter 22, a young guy comes to Jesus and he asks him, hey teacher, like what is the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus looks at this young guy and he basically just says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And so as Jesus is, is saying this, he's, he's quoting the Old Testament at this point. He's referring to Deuteronomy uh, 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And I believe that the Gospel of John was written before the letters of John, and that the letters of John are, are really based on the knowledge of what John wrote in his Gospel account. But here John is referencing what he wrote in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. It's going to come up here on the screen. But in this passage, Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so John is saying, the command to love one another, it's not new at all. It's actually very, very old because we've had it since the writings of Moses in the Old Testament before Jesus even came to this earth. And so it's very old, but he's saying it's also a new commandment because Jesus injected it with new meaning. He injected it with new meaning through his life and his death for us. And I need to explain this to you, okay? There was a guy named William Barclay, all right? And he explained three ways in which Jesus gave newness to this command of love. And first, he said that in Jesus, love actually became new in the extent to which it reached. All right, that in the same, at the time of Jesus, when he was walking on this earth, love was not this new concept but at the same time, there were very few people who would consider acting in a loving way towards people who were different from them, 
who were outside of kind of their family circle or outside their nation. You know, for example, for the Jews at this time, if you were a Gentile, a non-Jew, or a sinner, you were not to be treated in love. You were, you were hated. And so if you were not a Jew and you were a sinful person, you were seen with just complete hatred. But then Jesus comes on the scene and he extended love to everyone. And what does Jesus become known as? The friend of sinners, right? A sympathetic listener, a teacher of women who were despised at this time. The one whose salvation went for everybody. That Jesus gave new understanding to what love is and what love does. That love involves all people. And I guarantee you that there's people in this room that you need to be reminded of this. It involves all people. And as you read your Bible, here's my encouragement. Take note of all the different kinds of people that Jesus loved. And as you see all the types of people that he loved, let that not just inform you, but transform you in the way that you view people and the way that you live towards people and love people. Because Jesus loved people with terrible pasts. Anybody in here with a terrible past? Jesus loved people with sinful lifestyles today. Anybody here? You don't need to raise your hand, right? That'd be weird. But he loved all these people. He loved people with crazy beliefs. He loved people who hated him. He loved people who everybody else wrote off. This is the new love that Jesus and John are talking about, that we love all people because God loves all people. This is the truth. Secondarily, Barclay said that in Jesus, love became new in the lengths to which it would go. And and Doxa, this is where the cross is very important because at the cross, we see the height and the depth of God's love for all people. That Jesus' death, hear this, Jesus' death was for all types of people, all nations of people, all races of people, all people. So love, as Jesus talks about and demonstrates with his life and his death, is a complete love that knows no end. That Jesus, out of love, dies for us. He takes on the wrath of God for us. He takes our sin upon himself. And John is saying this type of love is brand new because the world has never seen it before. It's new. And then finally, Barclay says that in Jesus, love became new in the degree to which it was seen. All right, and this is verse eight. If you look back to verse eight, John says, it is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And when we, when we see this word true, true means genuine, right? And, and the point is that true or genuine love is seen perfectly in Jesus, but also in everyone who claims to love him and follow him. That John is saying that Jesus is our example and we as Christians are the world's example. You get this. And this is yet another way that John is seeking to help us know if we are actually a Christian. Because right, if you've been around the last couple weeks, John has kind of, in the first two chapters, he's given us some tests right, to ha- help us actually know, is our faith really real, or are we just playing the church game? Are we really wrapped up in religion, or are we wrapped up with Jesus? And so he gives us some tests. In chapter one, he gives us a theological test to consider, right, where we ask, do I really believe the right things about Jesus? And then the first part of chapter two, he gives us an obedience test where we ask ourselves, do I actually obey the words and the ways of God? But here, John gives us a love test, making us consider, am I actually a loving person? 
Is love seen in the way that I relate to others? Am I, am I loving? Now, I, I want to just pause for a second and briefly consider the word love. Because that word love causes all sorts of problems in the English language. Like, because I can say, like, I, I love Jesus, right? But I, but I also really love pizza, right? I, I love my wife. I love my kids. I love this church. But I also love brats and a good beer in the Packers, right? Amen? Get the band up here, let's go. But the truth is, very few people in this world have a, really any idea of what true love is. That most people, including many Christians, tend to think of love only in terms of like nice feelings or like an affection or like a romance. But this is not how John speaks of love. And in the Greek of John's day, there were at least three words that can be translated into the English word love. The first is the word eros. And eros is actually a word that's actually not used in the Bible, but it, it points to this passionate love. Eros is what we get our English language or word erotic from. All right, phileo is another word used in the Greek, and it refers to this like affection between friends. It's like this brotherly love that brings a strong sense of connection between two people. Uh, but here in 1 John 2, if you look at verse 10, as John explains this new commandment, he uses the word agape to talk about love. And agape, while one of the rarest words used in ancient Greek literature, it's one of the most common in the New Testament. And agape refers to a love that, that seeks the highest good of another person, even at the price of one's own comfort, safety, or benefit. So agape love is a, is a love that like implies a permanence, it's an unconditional commitment. It's a love that is more of like a decision and a commitment than a feeling. That agape means loving not for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the other person. And here is the importance of this love, okay? Guys, Jesus left no doubt that love, agape love, this self-sacrificing, unconditional love for him and people is the supreme mark of everyone who says they love and follow Jesus. And John is showing us the primacy of love and he's simply reminding these Christians of what their faith and what their life is all about. Christian, it is love. And so let me just ask you this. Let's put John's test into practice. Are you a loving person? I mean, is this how people would describe you? Oh yeah, that dude is super loving. That lady, super loving. And I don't want us to move too quickly past this because this is a big deal. This is John's point. He's saying if anybody claims to, yeah, you're raising your hand saying I love Jesus and I'm following Jesus, he said, okay, let's do the love test. Are you a loving person? Jesus says this is how people will know that you follow him, not by how much you know, but how much you love. And so as you think about that question, am I loving? You probably are not the person to answer that, right? You're like, oh, for sure I am. Look over to your spouse right now. No, don't do that, right? But talk to your spouse. Talk to your friends. Talk to your coworkers. Talk to your kids. Do work on this in your connection group this week. Am I loving? And just brace yourself. Because the answer you might get might surprise you. But this is John's point. He's a grandfather, an old man, coming alongside brothers and sisters and saying, this is a big deal. You need to talk about this. And John then moves on all right, to talk about, look at verse 9. John talks about 
the person of love now. So he's gotten the primacy of love. It's a really big deal, maybe bigger deal than we even imagine. But now the person of love, verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. All right, so let me just explain this, okay? Do you guys remember um, Blockbuster Video? And that whole process of like looking and searching for videos and then you find it and then you gotta walk through aisles of like popcorn and candy. You remember those? I remember it was right after I became a Christian. Went to Blockbuster Video. And I walk in, I find, I don't even know what I rented, but I rented something and I'm standing there in line and all of a sudden this lady in front of me just starts going off on the cash register person. I mean, we're talking like more F words in 30 seconds than I had used in like three years, okay? And just going off, and she's literally like throwing stuff off the counter, like spitting, like just, it was, it was insane, okay? And then finally she throws the video on the ground, and apparently there was a two-disc movie and it only had one disc, and she was really upset about that, okay? But she throws it on the ground and just storms out. And I remember it's like that awkward moment of like, there's a grown man, is he gonna cry right now? What do I do with this? And I grabbed the video, and I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm so sorry. And he's like, yeah, that was crazy, right? And I'm like, yeah, and I put it down. It was the Gospel of John, two-part disc set. And I was like, bro, you need to find that and go give it. She needs it, right? <laughs> but I don't know where she was, like spiritually, in her walk with Jesus, but it's that type of thing that John is pointing to. You're you're raising your hand and Jesus, 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 and then you're living a life of just hatred and anger and jealousy and resentment. And John is saying, there's something wrong. Doctor, the Christian life is lived in two directions. The vertical, which is Godward, and the horizontal, which is manward. And the truth is, the vertical totally affects the horizontal. That if there is a vibrant, real, loving relationship with God, vertically, this will be manifested in the way that we live horizontally with people. And so if you look at your life and you see that maybe you're just like perpetually angry, you're just mean to people all the time, you have hate and resentment in your life and love is not marking your life at all, John would say, something's wrong. That check engine light in your car is going off and it's blinking for a reason because something might be wrong with this vertical relationship. It's the same thing that he says in verses one through six, that our love towards other people is evidence of our love for God. And John says, you cannot say that I know and love Jesus and simultaneously say, I hate so-and-so. Because love and light go together, much as hatred and darkness go together. And the truth that John shares here is that when there is hatred in our hearts, we hurt ourselves and we cause others to stumble. Hate in our hearts, guys, hurts us greatly. All right, John says three things. If you look back to verse 11, he says three things are true concerning those who have hate in their heart. Verse 11, if you look, first, they're they're in darkness. Second, they walk in darkness. That character brings about conduct, and people do what they do because they are what they are. And then third, they're without direction in their life. 
And so if you're one of these people that maybe you have like this hatred, you have this resentment, I mean, for your own good, let me just say, it is gonna kill you. It is gonna zap purpose and direction in your life because it blinds us of God's direction and it takes us out of God's will. And even if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how anger and hatred in our hearts actually puts us in a dangerous place of judgment and just spiritual decay. That hatred really just causes us to walk away from God because it's the opposite of who he is, how he loves, and how he exists. And I don't know if you've seen people like this that are so wrapped up with hate and anger. It overtakes them. It's sad, it's tragic. They're in a dark place and they're blind to the truth and the love and the way and the hope because that is what hatred and anger does in our lives. It keeps us in darkness and it blinds us. And so he says it hurts us, but also it brings about stumbling in others. It causes them to trip up. It causes them to sin. It causes them to fill in the blank. Because when we have hate towards others, or any of like hatred's cousins, right, of envy, jealousy, rivalry, resentment, there's always gonna be relational problems and disunity. And there's so much disunity in our world right now. So much brokenness, so much hatred. And this breaks the Father's heart of God because it hinders people from seeing the love of Jesus and it's destroying people. Some of you guys, I know it, You've seen your families implode over the last year and a half, two years, because hate and anger and all that stuff that has been brought up over the last couple years has just went crazy, and disunity has happened. This is what hatred does. It causes people to stumble, and so John, with a deep love and concern for his readers, he just says, man, for your good, love. And this is the same thing that Peter says. Peter says, above all, love. This is the same thing that Jesus says, love. This is the same thing that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You can have everything, but if you don't have love, you actually have nothing. Here's the truth, Doxa. It's easy to talk about Christian love, but it's much more difficult to practice it, right? At least it is for me. That Christian lip service is really, really easy. Christian lifestyle is really, really hard. And that's why we need Jesus. The gospel produces love in us. Hear me on this, guys. Our ability to love is primarily based on our experience with love. And so it always comes back to Jesus. That love is not just something that we try and manufacture and conjure up within us, but it's a love that comes to us through Jesus, which then flows out of us towards others. It's the love of God. It's not about us. Say that all the time. It's not about us. It's always about Jesus. That Christianity actually begins with God's love for you. That before God asks you to love him or love anyone else, he first comes to you and he loves you and he gives you his love so that you can give your, his, his love back to him and then to other people. And God's love is not something that he just feels for us, but it's something that he did for us. Because at the cross, we see that the love of God is not merely just sentimental. And oftentimes when people speak of love, they usually mean like an emotional love that feels an affection but might not lead to any type of action. But is anybody thankful that this is not the love of God? 
that God didn't just feel something, but God did something. That his loving affection for us actually came to us in the man Jesus who went to the cross and died for us. And that is the only reason that we have any hope, any joy, any love. It's all Jesus. That through the cross, Jesus took our sin so that we could be reconciled to God. And this is where we experience the true love of the Father. And this is a love that we must never forget. And this is the love that's the bridge for our church family to live towards each other in those crazy ways that we talked about. If we had this love, this would cause us to be a light in a very dark world, which is what Jesus saved us for. And I want us to understand that the bridge between the life we experience in our broken world today and bringing a little bit of heaven to earth is love. It's Jesus. We exist for the glory of God and the good of Madison and the way that, that will be, God will be glorified and that people will meet Jesus is primarily by love. Jesus' love coming through our lives in the everyday stuff of life. And so here's how I want to end. All right, the last verse, if you look, introduces us to a term that I think may be applied to the life of love. All right, it's the term walk, which really just suggests like practical steps. And one of my favorite theologians, a man named Francis Schaeffer, he summed up this section of scripture with three applications of which I want to just read and kind of leave you with. But here's what Schaefer said will happen if we actually seek to love one another like John is talking about here. First, he says that it will mean that when a Christian has failed to love or acts wrongly towards someone, we will go to that person and apologize. And you're like, really? That's as deep as you get? John's writing in a crayon. And if you've tried to do this, you know that that is a very easy thing to say but a very hard thing to do. And Schaefer says, nevertheless, this, more than anything else, expresses love and restores the oneness which Jesus said should flow from the fact that Christians do, in fact, love one another. The second thing that Schaefer says is that uh, because the offense is oftentimes the other way, we are to show our love by forgiveness. Everything I really ever needed to know was in kindergarten, right? You say you're sorry, you forgive. And this, too, is very, very hard, particularly if you're in a place where the other person does not repent or say sorry. But here's what Schaefer writes, and I quote, we must all continually acknowledge that we do not practice the forgiving heart as we should. And yet the prayer is, forgive us of our debts and trespasses as we forgive our debtors. We are to have a forgiving spirit even before the other person expresses regret for their wrong, the Lord's prayer does not suggest that when the other person is sorry, then we are to show a oneness by having a forgiving spirit. Rather, we are called upon to have a forgiving spirit without the other person having made the first step. We may still say that they are wrong, but in the midst of saying that they are wrong, we must be forgiving. Granting forgiveness is a mark of love and shows that we have the Father's heart. So you want applications, the first one, when you mess up and you sin against somebody, you go and you apologize and you ask for forgiveness. And when someone sins against you, regardless of what they say, you forgive. This is love. And then third, 
Schaefer says that we must show love by practical demonstration, even when it's costly. And he goes on to say this, that love cost the Samaritan in Jesus' parable. It cost him time and money. Love cost the shepherd who endured hardship to hunt for his lost sheep. Love cost Mary of Bethany, who out of her love broke the box of priceless ointment over Jesus' feet. Love will be costly to all who practice it, but what is purchased thereby will be of great value, though intangible, for it will be proof of the presence of the life of God, both to the individual Christian and to the watching world. Doc said, this is the way of love. It's the way of Jesus. And may God help us to be like our Jesus and live in love. Let me pray. Father, we... about how fickle and sinful my heart can be and how unloving I can be. But like John, I'm thankful that I'm not who I once was, but your love has changed me and is continuing to change me. That I'm not who I want to be, but by the grace of God and your love, I'm not who I once was. And God, I just pray and ask that you would just help me to be a man that grows in love like Jesus. Would I be known for love and would our our church be known for love? God, would Doxa just be a place where love is seen, where love is experienced? And that love would just cover like a multitude of sin and keep us unified, saying the right thing about our Father's family to a watching world. And as we live with love for you and for each other and for people, would that love just draw people? And it wouldn't point to us to be like, we're so great, but our love would then just be a a neon sign that would point to Jesus and be like, he's the one. And would we see many, many people come to Jesus because of this love? And it's only you. And so Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now to just help us. Help us to grow in love, knock down walls, heal hurting hearts, take away resentments, take away hatred, take away anger, and replace it with your love. Empower us to do the thing that we can never do on our own. We look to you, we need you, we say we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.